You're listening to the Promise Church's message of the week. We hope you enjoy this teaching by Scott McNamara. For more information about who we are, please visit us at thepromisechurch.com. Good morning, y'all. How are we all doing? God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. Come on, who's excited? The Lord is going to move this morning, I believe, in power. Anybody with me? Come on, Jesus is on the move. You can't stop him. Like I talked to you the week, the wild goose, the Holy Spirit's always moving. Are you going to follow or are you going to stay behind? This morning, we're all in agreement that we're going to follow follow the wild goose wherever he goes. Are Are we in it together? Okay, come on, God is good. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you for this time that we have. Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts, open our minds to see what it is you want to give to us this morning. Lord, I pray you would awaken us to the call of the gospel. Lord, would you awaken us to the value of the sacrifice that you made with the cross. Thank you, Jesus, that you are present in this place. Thank you there is nothing greater than your name. No coronavirus is greater than the name of Jesus. Come on. There is only one name under heaven by which men can be saved, and we thank you that that name this morning will bring people to the altar. So, Lord, we believe in your name. We lift up the name of Jesus. That is the only name that we're proclaiming from this place. Thank you, Lord. I just thank you for our church. I thank you for my brothers and sisters here. I already love my church, but I love my church even more after seeing the uh, response this morning from the brave warriors who came out of their homes to be here together as a family. So I thank you, Lord, that we're standing strong in the middle of chaos around us, and we're believing that you are the rock that our feet are firmly fixed upon. So we stand on the rock this morning. We commit this time to you. Holy Spirit, help me to convey what it is you've placed on my heart, and I ask you to breathe into people's hearts the words that are from you. We love you. We exalt you. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Who loves Jesus? Come on. He is worthy of all our praise, huh? Come on. I'm proud of you guys for coming up this morning. It's, it's good to see. Our first service wasn't as busy. We still had some people here. But it's great to see you guys coming out, not listening to any of the voice, but the voice of the Lord. So we're glad you're here. We, glad, we believe God's going to bless you for being here. We need to stand strong. We need to show our community in this time when people are uh, grasping for some kind of hope. We need to show them that we're not afraid. We need to show them that we only look to Jesus. We don't look to our mountain. Uh, we look to the King of Kings, yeah? So we need to show, we need to have a, a strong stance of solidarity during this time, okay? So I just want to welcome everybody for coming. Also, I want to welcome our viewers online. I know we have people here viewing online who couldn't make it. And also, why don't we give our pastors a big round of applause who are watching right now? We love our pastors. Who loves our pastors? Come on. We celebrate you guys. We thank you for tuning in. Uh, we hope you're enjoying the sun and not getting burnt too badly. So guys, I believe the Lord is going to move this morning. I have a, a scripture that I want to read to you guys, and then I'm going to let the Holy Spirit lead me accordingly to his will. Does that sound good? So we're going to open our Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 23. 2 Samuel chapter 23 is where we're going to be reading from. And then I'm also going to read from a couple of other uh, other scriptures also, but I'm not going to tell you because you may cheat and go ahead of me. Okay, so Second Samuel 23, I'm going to pick it up from verse 13. Once during the harvest, when David 
was at the cave of Adullam, the Philistine army was camped in the valley of Rephraim. The three who were among the 30, an elite group among David's fighting men, went down to meet him there. David was staying in the stronghold at the time, and a Philistine detachment had occupied the town of Bethlehem. Everyone say Bethlehem. David remarked longingly to his men, Oh, how I would love some of that good water from the well by the gate of Bethlehem. So the three broke through the Philistine lines, drew somewhat water from the well by the gate in Bethlehem, and brought it back to David. But he refused to drink it. Instead, he poured it out as an offering to the Lord. He poured it out as an offering to the Lord. Come on. It's good, huh? He poured it out as an offering to the Lord. The Lord forbid that I should drink this, he exclaimed. This water is as precious as the blood of these men who risked their lives to bring it to me. So David did not drink it. These are the examples of the three. Anybody know that scripture? Come on. I'm going to give you guys a quick overview of how that worked. Okay. So David, you all know David. David as in David and Goliath, King David. David was on the run at the time. He was being pursued. He was uh, he fearing for his life. And he'd retreated to the caves of Adullam. And at that time, David was with his boys. He was with his gang. He was with his tribe. And David was there with, with his gang of people, his gang of men. Now, these men were like the kind of men you want to have around if somebody's pursuing your life. These were guys who like would protect you, yeah? So if you think of someone you'd like in the room if someone was trying to kill you, maybe Conor McGregor, uh, Mike Tyson, uh, Dwayne Johnson, you know, whoever you think, man, this guy's in the room, I'm going to be safe. So you multiply all these people together and you've got the mighty men of, of David. So he had 30 men. There were 30 crazy, brave, courageous men of valor that were his kind of bodyguard. And then he had a three special, uh, a special people of three. These, these three were like the elite. So you think of like the army rangers, uh, the SAS we have, the Navy SEALs. Well, these guys were like the top, top guys, yeah? <laughs> He's laughing because I've said in the first service, we have the SAS where I come from, okay? And I'm like, you guys can't compete with your Navy SEALs, army rangers. You know what I mean? SAS are the elite, the elite, Okay. But anyway, if you, if you need to, me to prove that, then you've got to watch a movie. There's a movie called Who, Who Dares Wins, and it talks about the SAS. These guys are the real deal. Anyway, we're going to go with Army Rangers and Navy SEALs for my American audience, yeah? I keep you guys happy? Okay, brilliant. So you had this elite men, the elite group of three, and these guys were like crazy, crazy guys. Like one of them, we read in the scriptures, went into a pit on a snowy day and fought a lion with his bare hands and killed it. So this is the kind of, these are the kind of people we're talking so what happened was, David, he's just sitting there kicking back, okay? And he's chilling out there. It's a hot day in Israel. He's in a cave. Now, you stick yourself in a cave on a hot day, it's going to get even hotter. So he's in a cave, and he's there, you know, and he's kind of worried about, you know, being pursued for his life. And he just turns around. He just sighs. It's like a sigh. He's like, man, I would love some of the water by the well at the gate of Bethlehem. 
Now he's not saying, you know, somebody go and get me some water from the well by the gate of Bethlehem. He's just kind of sighing, you know. And it was kind of a sigh because David grew up there. So it was like the place that he used to always go as a kid. You know, him and the boys are playing around and they go, they're thirsty, they're playing soccer. They go and get a drink by the well at the gate of Bethlehem. That was kind of the well. So he's only just like reminiscing. It's kind of like think harkening back to the yesteryear. It's kind of all this emotion in one. Oh man, imagine. You know, imagine if I could have that. You ever, you ever think of something in life where you're going through a situation and you just think, imagine if I could have this. You know, you don't really think it's going to happen, but it's just like a whim. It's just like a dream. You put it out there. Hey, imagine, you know. So, you know, maybe right now for me, I'm kind of, imagine, you know, imagine I was in Mexico right now. Imagine I was kind of just sunbathing on my sun lounger, kicking it back. Kids are in the pool. I'm watching the Promise Church on my phone. You know what I mean? That kind of thing, you know? You know, imagine how that would feel, you know, but you don't obviously expect it's going to happen, but you just put it out there. Well, this is the kind of situation to David. He's in this moment. He's like, I would love some of the water from the well by the gate of Bethlehem. So what happens? What happens is mighty men adhere to his side. Why? Because what mighty men do is they adhere to the side of the king because they're always looking for ways to please the king. You see, they didn't need a command to be given to please the king. They didn't need the command of go and get me water. All they knew is that my king wants a drink and this is the drink he wants and I'll risk my life to get it for my king. You see, the reason is this. David's mighty men, they were kind of like a crazy ragtag bunch of people. They were criminals, uh, ex-criminals. They were kind of social outcasts. They were crazy guys. And what David had done is he'd taken them in and he made a family out of them. So these guys were like, man, my life before David was no life. So now that he's brought me in and he's fixed me up and he's got me on the right track with the Lord, man, anything my king asks, I'm going to do it. And not even what he asks, but what he wants. So that's what they did. They go behind enemy lines, risk their very lives to bring back a glass of water. But it wasn't just a glass of water. It wasn't just H2O. What it was, it was love in a glass. It was liquid love. And they brought it back to David and they said, David, we want to give you this. And he's like, what, what are you doing, guys? Where have you been? And you didn't actually go. I didn't tell you to go. And they said, no, we wanted to go. You see, we could never repay you for the way you've loved us. We can never give back. How can we ever give back for what you've given us? But we just knew that it was a sigh, it was a whim, it was a desire, and we wanted to come and please you. So you know what David did? You see, because as I've said before, for those who've heard me speak before, the Holy Spirit once told me that love can be measured by how much it costs you. So what did David do? Well, he, he got a hold of the drink, and this is what he did. He had that glass and he said, God forbid that I would drink this. This is far too valuable because the, the blood of these men, they risked their blood to bring this to me. They risked their lives. How can I just drink this? There is a greater, a greater one that I need to pour this out to. So what he did, he, he just poured out that glass before God as an offering. And what he was symbolizing, you see, in Jewish culture, when they would offer a sacrifice, what they would do is they would kill the animal and they would keep the blood and then separately they would pour out the blood of the animal as a sacrifice before God because in the book of Hebrews it says that the blood, the life is in the blood. So they would take the blood of the animal and they would pour it out as a sacrifice before God. And what David was doing, he was taking this thing that was so precious and the value was so great that he said, I can't hang on to it because it's worth too much. 
So what I'll do is I'll pour it out before you as a sacrifice. And he poured it out before God. I want to tell you this. There's another who went behind enemy lines to bring you back a drink of water. The only difference with this water is that it's not H2O. You see, the problem with H2O is this. I could drink it just like David. He drank it in that cave and it felt good. But two hours later, he was thirsty again. But what Jesus brought back when he went behind enemy lines, and he didn't go behind enemy lines temporarily, he stayed there. He was slaughtered for your sin and for my sin. He didn't go for one man, one special man. He went for mankind. And he came back with water and he said, I'm going to give you something that, guess what? This is called living water. And when you drink it, you'll never thirst again. Never. It's going to bubble up inside of you into eternal life. It's incredible. What does it mean? It means that you may be someone who's dying of thirst spiritually. And when you take one sip of this thing, it's done. Like that's how valuable it is. It costs the very son of God his life to bring it back to you. I want to show you the value that we're talking right now. Like this is God in skin going behind enemy lines. More than a Philistine detachment. He was killed by the people he created. He was destroyed. He was tortured barbarically on a cross by those he created. Why? To bring you back living water. Because he knew that one drop, that one sip, your life would be forever changed. You see, the problem we have in life right now is that humanity has a drink problem. We're dying of thirst. This is the problem we have. Humanity is dying of thirst. And they don't know it. And we dress it up differently and we call it different things, but it's the same problem. It's that we're thirsty and we're trying to drink things, but they're not satisfying. So we don't know. So what we do is we just keep drinking and drinking and whatever has been prepared on the table that has been set and laid out, we will drink, we'll drink, we'll drink. Why? Because we're just looking to be satisfied. When you look at an individual and you see them steeped in sin, it's easy to point the finger and say they're a bad person. It's easy to look at somebody who's mixed up in, in a severe addiction or somebody who's dabbling in, in, in porn or, or a, an extramarital affair, all these things, whatever people are doing. And we can look at that and we can point our finger and we can say they're a bad person. But you know what we should be doing? We should just be saying, that's a thirsty person. You see, people are thirsty. And if they don't drink what we have to offer, they're going to keep drinking what the devil has to offer. We need to give them an option. We need to show them what is available. I call this talk the sin challenge. And you're thinking, why? Because it has nothing to do with what I've talked about, but it will now. In the 80s and 90s, they had this big, uh, this big kind of campaign from Pepsi. Pepsi had this campaign. It was called the Pepsi Challenge. Anyone who's over 40 remember that? The Pepsi Challenge. So what they would do is they would rock up in shopping malls, football games, anywhere where there were crowds of people, they would come and they would present a table. And on that table, there would be two drinks. There would be Pepsi and there would be Coke. And what they would do is they would blindfold you. They'd put a blindfold over you and they'd say, come to the table and drink. And you'd go and you'd step up to the table and then you'd drink the two drinks and you had to pick which one you thought was the nicest. Pick your favorite one. It wasn't even that they were like, okay, you better pick Pepsi. It was just like, just pick. Pepsi was so confident that what they had was the winning formula that they would say, just tell us which one you like the best. 
That's how confident they were. I'm going to tell you why. You see, Pepsi was built to shine in the sip test. It was made to be sweeter. It's sweeter than Coke. So when you sip it, you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. This is good stuff. You're getting a high. You're getting a bit of a buzz. The sweetness is kind of appealing to your senses more than Coke. So people were picking Pepsi. And Pepsi invested millions and millions into this campaign over years and years. And they kept winning and they kept winning. And during that time, Coke had a big problem. They had a huge problem. You see, up until that stage, Coke were winning. It's called the Cola Wars. And what happened was, Coke panicked and they said, what are we going to do because Pepsi's kicking our butts, if I'm allowed to use that. Sorry, cover your ears if I'm not. Okay. Pepsi's, Pepsi's really like destroying us. What are we doing? We've got to sort ourselves out. So what they did, they put all the millions into Coke. And then these clever people who sit in a room, uh, they decided that what they would do, because these guys are real smart. These guys are like Harvard, Yale, top guys, yeah? Get paid millions. What did they come up with? What was the solution? Let's just copy Pepsi. Smart guys. Let's just copy the winning formula. So what they did, they put millions into it and they found out, let's just get it as close as this as we can get. So that's what they did. But there was a problem. The problem was this. The more, the sweeter it is, the more sickly it will become. So the more Pepsi drinkers drank, the more sickly it made them feel. So what did that mean? It meant that they put down the Pepsi and they went over to Coke. They reverted back to Coke. You're thinking, so what are you telling me? Sin is Pepsi and God is Coke. Yes, because he is the real thing. Okay? The real thing. Come on. Praise God. Although I do love Pepsi, I have to say. Sorry. Forgive me. So what happened was Pepsi began to realize they were losing because their drink that was built to shine in the sip test could only offer the sip. The more they drank, the more sickly it became. So Coke wasted all this money. And you know what they did? They came up with a new Coke. It was called Coke 2 or New Coke. And what they decided to do was revert back to their original recipe because the original is always the best, yeah? They went back to their original recipe and everything changed. I just want to read you this, just to give you an idea how big a deal this was. So if you want to look it up, it's a true story. It's called the Cola Wars. This is what they said. This is a true fact. So grassroots organizations like Coca-Cola Drinkers of America sprung up around the country to petition the company to change the recipe back. On July 11th, 85, less than three months after Coca-Cola announced a formula change, the company announced it would bring back the old formula under the brand name Coca-Cola Classic. Why am I telling you that? Am I on commission from Coca-Cola? No. I want to tell you, this is the reason why I'm telling you this. There is a table that has been set before mankind. And mankind at the moment, and for many years, have been involved in the sin challenge. And the sin challenge is like this. They go to the table that has been laid before them by the enemy. And what they do is they have a blindfold over them because the Bible tells us Satan has blinded the minds of those that don't believe. So they step up to the table, wherever they go, ball games, bars, wherever they go, shopping centers, there's a, a, a flurry, there's a, an option, there's a multiple options of drinks and they can drink whatever they want to drink, but there's a blindfold over them. Now, when they come to drink the other drink, the, the real thing, the Coca-Cola equivalent, they don't have any. You see, it's not like the Pepsi challenge where you have an equal one drink here, one drink here. They can't choose because they don't know the other option. Why? Because we're too busy sat in church. So we don't go to these places, we don't go to bars, we don't go to anywhere where it might be slightly dark because we think, hey, that stuff might get on us and we might get a bit infected. 
We don't go anywhere where there's coronavirus because it might catch us. We don't even go to church. But hey, guess what? How do people drink if they don't know it's available? So what happens is everybody's over here and they're drinking all this stuff with a blindfold on and they're drinking it and they're drinking it and they're getting so sick of the taste of this sin. But there's no other options, so they just keep drinking. They just keep drinking and drinking and drinking. And even though it's killing them, they keep drinking. Why? Because there's no other options. So what do we need to do? We need to get out there and we need to say, hey, people, guess what? We've got the real thing. And when you taste it, you'll taste and see that God is good. You see, Pepsi were confident that what they had was built to shine in the sip test. Well, let me tell you this. I'm confident that what we have is built to shine eternally. And all we got to do is say, take one sip of this and your life's forever changed. Man, I tried every drink out there, believe me, metaphorically speaking and physically. And I was still thirsty. I remember sitting there early hours of the morning, at five o'clock in the morning at a party and I began to weep. I tried every drink that the devil presented on that table and I was sick of my, my sin. I was sick of the taste of it. I didn't like it. But then when I tasted the real thing, I came alive. How will people ever know if we never offer it to them? It seems that every week there's a new drink being presented by the devil on this table. I just think of, if I look at the LGBTQ community, and I'm not bashing them. I believe like any sin, it's just full of people who are thirsty. But I look at this community and I've seen it over the years that they keep sticking extra letters on. Lesbian, gay, bisexual. Okay, now, now the uh, transgender. Now the, the two is if you feel that you identify with a male and a female. We're sticking all these extra things on why. I'm going to tell you why. Because the drinks they're having is not satisfying. So what we've got to do is we've got to make more options because we had a few options and it wasn't enough. So I don't look at someone from that uh, community and I don't point my finger and say bad person. You know what I do? I say thirsty person. I say, how are they ever going to know any different if they never drink? And it's the same with any area of sin. It's just people who are thirsty. Believe me, I was the chief of sinners. I tried it all. But I was just a guy who was thirsty and I'm trying to quench my thirst, but you can't do it. You see, you'll die of thirst without the real thing. So what do we do? We need to go to people and present the real thing to them. We need to give them the option and say, hey, guess what? There's a drink that you can taste and it will change your life forever. We see it all the time. I want to read you guys a story. This is a true story. There's a, a ministry that is called Jesus Loves Porn Stars. This might offend some of you but maybe you need to be offended. I'm just keeping it real. And what this ministry does is they go to conventions where all these adult film stars uh, gather once a year or twice a year. They go to these huge conventions. And what they do is they go to the places where all the general public would go who have a, an appetite for that kind of drink. And they, uh, they go there and what they do is they put up a booth. They put up a table. And you see the table that they're putting up is the table that has the real thing. And they put Bibles there and literature and they tell people about Jesus next to all the other tables of all the other drinks. What are they doing? They're going to make, make sure that this sin challenge has a competitor. 
They're making sure that there's an equal. They're making sure that these people know that there is something that cannot compete, that cannot even compare with what they think can change their life. So they go there and they lay out the booth and they say, hey, we've only got one drink here. His name's Jesus. But when you drink him, he'll bubble up into eternal life. Do you know in John chapter 4, Let's just go there briefly. I just want to read this. In John chapter 4, we, I just want to give you a biblical example in case you think you, you're kind of strange. So John chapter 4, we read the story of the woman at the well, okay? We all know the story of the woman at the well. Okay, let's pick it up. John chapter 4 verse 10. Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you're speaking to, you would ask me and I'd give you living water. So you've got a woman, promiscuous lifestyle, sleeping around, living a life that is a shame-filled life. What happened? She just was drinking and drinking, trying to find something to satisfy. Jesus meets her there and says, you don't need that, all those other drinks. I've got something which, which, uh, I can give you which will change you eternally. So what does she do? She puts it down and she receives the gift of God. You see, it's a gift. What Jesus went and earned for you, what he sacrificed, what he gave his life to bring you back was a gift. You see, the Bible tells us the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And what you're drinking is eternal life in a glass. And that's what he offers you. And just like the woman at the well, she was a, a lady that wasn't a, a decent person by society standards. Some of you guys in this room probably would have looked at her and said, bad person. But you know what? She's just a thirsty person. So Jesus came and he met her in her thirst. And he said, try this. Let me give you living water. And she tried and her life was forever changed. We read that it bubbled up inside of her into eternal life. There's a similar story. I guess you could call it a modern day story. And this is a story of a, of a lady who was a part of this community, part of this ministry that goes into these adult, uh, star, uh, adult stars conventions. And this is a story that she, uh, that she said. It says this. I met her at a porn convention while I was in the adult film industry. Rachel, a team member of the XXX Church, showed me God's unconditional love, which ultimately led me out of the industry. Three years ago, I had the opportunity to share that same love with Melinda. When you watch her story, you'll learn that we met when she reached out to me on Instagram for help. I immediately let her move in with me so that she could begin a new life in Christ. You see, to pour out your life is going to cost you. Sadly, the next day she went back to porn and the next time I saw her was in January at the Adult Entertainment Expo. I was with our church handing out Bibles and sharing God's love with all who would listen. I was so grateful that I ran into Melinda. She was signing autographs and meeting with her fans. The connection was divine. I stayed in touch with Melinda and prayed for her often. God began to move in her heart. Not long after seeing each other at that convention, she quit the industry once and for all. Melinda has been out of the industry for a little over a year. She's currently in school and has the nine to five job that we prayed she would acquire. This is just the beginning for Melinda. Our church shows up at these conventions for people like Melinda. Most people walk in darkness because they've yet to encounter the light. And that is what we desire to be for people, God's light. If we don't go and present Jesus to people, how will they ever know? I want to tell you this. People are dying of thirst all around us. They're not dying of fear of an illness. They're dying of thirst. If they could just drink, 
if they could taste and see that God loves them, if they can taste and see that this is real. You know, the amount of people I've met led to Jesus from crazy backgrounds and have turned around to me and said, this is what I've been looking for. I just didn't know it was Jesus. You see, they don't know it's him. Why? Well, because we've never presented him. We've never said, hey, guess what? Here's our table. Never mind that sin stuff. Check Jesus out. He's the real thing. We don't do it. We stay in churches. We stay in safe places. All the while, people are out there in darkness and they're dying of thirst and they have no, offer, uh, no opportunity of another drink. So what do we need to do? What's the solution? Well, the solution is this. Romans 12, this is the solution. This is what Romans 12 verse one says. And so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you. I plead with you. I plead with you, brothers and sisters, this morning I plead with you. Offer your bodies to God as a living sacrifice. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you. Give God your bodies. Because of all he has done for you, let them be a living and holy sacrifice. And here's the key. This is truly the way to worship him. I want to tell you this. Some people come here and they go to churches all over. Maybe you're watching right now. You know what you're doing? You come to church on a Sunday, you lift your hands and you sing the songs and you think, that's my worship. That's not your worship. It's part of it, but it's not your worship. You know what worship looks like? It looks like offering your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing before God. How do you do that? This is how you do it. You take what he's given you and you say this, you say, what you gave me, Jesus, what cost you your life to give to me to make me, uh, to quench my thirst, what I'm going to do with that is I'm going to pour it out before you as an offering. That's what I'm going to do. You see, if you don't do that, what you're saying is this. You're saying that this, what I've received, is more important than the, the, the giver who gave it to me. You're saying this gift that I've been given, the gift of living water, this gift of new life, what I have right now, this is more important than the one who brought it back for me. That's what you're saying. Because if it wasn't, then what you'd do is you'd pour it out before him. You'd say, hey, here's my life. Here it is. Take it, Lord. However you want to use it, you can have it. That would be the appropriate response to somebody who's pouring out their life, who acknowledges the gift and the giver. Otherwise, what you're doing is you're taking it, you're saying, thank you very much, Jesus, and you're keeping it right here. That's not how this thing's meant to be. Man, can you stand before God and look him in the eye when you die? Knowing the cost, knowing the value, what it cost him to go behind enemy lines to bring you back living water. Can you really look him in the eye on that day and know that all you ever did was drink for yourself? when you had a whole world dying of thirst. I wouldn't want to be you in that moment. But I've got good news for you. It can change. It can change. All we got to do is be willing to say, maybe this is not all it is. Maybe this isn't mine anyway. You see, because if you want to save your life, you've got to lose it. So I know what I'll do is I'll, I'll give my life to you, Jesus. I'll go behind enemy lines. I'll go to places I don't really want to go because it doesn't feel too fluffy and nice, but I'm going to do it anyway. Why? Because this don't belong to me. And because I'm going to go and I'm going to give what you've given to me. The, the mighty men brought David back a drink. David's response, his heart posture was to pour it out before the Lord. 
Jesus went to bring you back living water. What's your response? Your heart posture to pour it out before the Lord. To say, God, it's not mine anyway. You got it for me. It cost you your life to give it to me. You know, sometimes, uh, last time I spoke, or maybe a couple of months ago, I spoke about a man who went, who was in the concentration camps in Auschwitz. The, the Polish priest, Polish Catholic priest, Maximilian, called me. And they called, uh, a man escaped and they lined 10 men up. And they said, we're going to kill each one of you by sticking you in the death bunkers. They leave them there for two weeks, no food or water. And a man stepped up, a Polish priest. He said, I'll take your place. You see, because the other man was on his knees and he's saying, I don't want to die. I've got a wife and a kid. So the man, the Polish priest, he stepped up and he said, take my life for his. And he went into the bunker, the death bunkers, and he died. But you know what? He was the last man standing after the whole bunker died. They went in, the, the SS officer went in and he was still there praying and praising. Isn't that funny? The things in life that try and kill you, the things you're afraid of might take you out. Guess what? There's a greater power. You see, he went into the death bunker. Okay, humanly speaking, he should have died. No food or, food or water, everybody else died. There's Maximilian on his knees, praising God, singing and worshiping. They had to kill him with an injection of carbo carbolic acid because he wouldn't die from natural causes. Why? Because there is a greater name above the name of hunger and thirst. There's a greater name above the name of coronavirus. His name is Jesus. You don't have to fear. He has more for you. So much more. But we've got to get to the place where we trust him. Where we say, God, I'm going to give you my life. I'm going to let it be yours. I'm going to offer it up as a sacrifice. Just in closing, I just want to share a story with you guys. Because relationships are messy. Love is messy, huh? Love is messy. People are messy. Ask my wife. I'm very messy. I think she has high standards, but still, I'm still messy. This is going to get messy. Man, I think the cross was messy, huh? The cross was very, very messy. Very messy. But love is messy. If you're not willing to get in your hands into a bit of mess, you'll never really love in any relationship. It's always going to get messy. But you know what? There's a value in it. So one afternoon, I'm in the mall, and I'm with my kids and my wife, and we're going to the movies, and I turn around, and I just glance, and I see a man walking behind me, ahead of me, and I get the nudge of the Holy Spirit. He says, that one. What do I mean, nudge? Well, what I mean is when you, the Holy Spirit can trust you, he'll nudge you. You see, he ain't going to nudge you if you're going to just blank his nudge. Say, so I ain't doing that, I've got to be some, I've got to go to the movies. I've got to watch the trailers, they might be really good. If he can't trust you, you ain't getting nudged. Or maybe some of you were nudged at one time and then after 20 nudges, you, the Holy Spirit said, I ain't nudging them anymore. They ain't gonna do nothing. I'll find someone I can nudge. So the Lord, he gave me the nudge and he said, that guy over there. And, and I said, I've got to go over here. So I had my kid, one of my kids with me, Martha. And I literally ran over to get this guy because he was about to leave the mall exit. So I got to him and I said, can I speak to you for a moment? He turned around and I began to walk him through Jesus at the door. The Holy Spirit touched his heart and he, he accepted the Lord right there and then. It was a powerful encounter. He told me that he was living in a tent 
and he'd been a severe meth addict. Lost four of his kids, him and his wife living in a tent together. Life was messy. So the next day, me and my wife, we took them to a cafe in Vancouver and we met there and we talked and their faces were glowing and God had began to do work in their life. And then I decided that I would, that I would pour out my, my life a little bit more. Why? Because I'm a great man? No, because of the great cost that was paid for me. How can I give back? How? I can never give back to Jesus, just like the men. David, I can never repay, repay you, but I know that on your heart, you would love this. I know that you would love it. You see, Jesus didn't say, you must go and speak to that person, but he nudged me. And you know what? When you're a mighty man, the sigh or the nudge of a king is enough to move you. So I decided to go. And we meet the next day. And then what happened was um, I realized they were in Vancouver and, and they had nowhere to live. They were in a tent and we were in Woodland. So I said, let's give them our car. And then that car can ferry them back from uh, uh, Vancouver to Woodland to New Believers Group to church. So I gave them a car. But kind of like, it was a little bit more of a complicated story because Pastor Casey had given me the car. So it was my car, but it was still in his name, which was a little bit awkward. So what happened was I gave my friends the car and then I get a call from Pastor Casey uh, about 7.30 one morning, you see, because my friends, they drifted back into their old lives. And uh, what happened was Pastor Casey called me about 7.30 on a Saturday morning. He says, we, uh, we have a problem. The sheriff's just called and found our car abandoned at the side of the road in Vancouver. I'm like, oops, sorry. So what do we do? So I call my wingman. Jake the Baptist, and we go, we go to Vancouver. We head to Vancouver, and we go and retrieve the car with the directions that we've been given. And the car's there, it's got needles in it, it's a messy, it's, it's, it's a messy situation. And we find our friends in the tent around the back, there's mud, it's like a muddy, wet day, there's mud everywhere, and it's just like, they're, they're, they're kind of strung out on drugs, and it's just messy, the whole situation's messy. And it broke our hearts to see them. It broke our hearts. Sin breaks, will break your heart. Sin broke God's heart so much that he said, I'm going to give my life. I'm going to give my life so that every single individual doesn't have to be bound by sin anymore. It was a great cost. So we gave our car and then we took our car back and we couldn't find the key and they lost the key. It was all kind of problems. It was messy. But then we get the car back and then these guys distanced themselves from us. Many months go by and just last week, uh, the Lord popped them into my mind. I tried to reach out over the months, but then for a couple of months I hadn't because nothing was coming back. So the Lord popped them in my head and then the same day, the guy, he, he messaged me the same day. I'm like, this is crazy. I'm like, man, the Lord put you on, on my mind today. That was last week. On Wednesday, we've been chatting and by Wednesday they said, we're done, we want help. Now I didn't have any options. I didn't have anything I could offer them. I tried to reach out to a friend who was a, a guy I know who has a Christian rehab and he said, well, you need to get them to this place first. They've got to do this treatment, this detox. There was all these things that I had to do, but we couldn't do it. I made all the phone calls. I made all the, uh, the right moves, but nothing was opening up. But they were on the phone saying, we want help, we're ready. I'm like, what do I do? So I'm like, I know what I do. I just bring them in and put them up in a motel for three days and just pray something happens. So that's what I did. I, I, I called them. I said, okay, I'm going to come and get you Wednesday, uh, Thursday afternoon. And by then, the, the guy from the rehab had called me 
And the Lord said, I'm going to take care of this. And the guy said, bring them to me. As soon as you get them, bring them to me. So I brought them to him. And he said this. He said, if they, do three, if they go three days clean, I'll bring them in. The couple, I'll bring them in. We'll offer them a place. We'll put them in a, a room for, for the, the lady can have a, a house with, with the women and the guy can go in a house with the men and we'll counsel them. We'll have experienced, uh, trained workers who work with them and disciple them. I'm like, come on, it's incredible. So all they had to do was three days clean. So we put them in a motel for the past three days, brought them into our home. We ate together. We hung out together. We loved each other. And then this afternoon after church, I'm going to take them and they're going to begin their new chapter of their new lives. Come on. God is good. God is good. Would you like to meet them? Come on up. Give it up for Jojo and Bridget. These are our friends. Come on up, guys. So God is good, huh? Four days clean. Four days clean. Four days clean. Not three. He's four days clean. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. Come on. Praise God. Come on. God is good. So I just want these guys, just in, in your own words, how's this journey been? It's been a long, tough journey. It's been messy. <laughs> but um, today, I can say we're happy. Really, really, truly happy. You can feel it in here. And Scott's our blessing. Thank you. What would happen just before the movies? We thought, hey, maybe. What would happen when things get messy and we still believe maybe? You see, I don't know about you guys, but man, I messed up a couple of times before I started finding my traction with the Lord. He didn't give up on me. This thing is encapsulated in one phrase. Love can be measured by how much it costs you. Jesus paid the ultimate cost. If we will only be willing to pour out our lives, what could happen? I believe this world will be a different place. It's not complicated. It's not difficult. It's not a mathematical equation we have to work out. It's simple. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him could drink and have everlasting life. It's not that difficult. So I want to ask you if you're here this morning, just as we close, if you're here this morning and you've never drank, how do you know if you've drank? This is how. Because we read the woman, with the woman at the well, it's, Jesus said that it will bubble up inside of you into eternal life. So what that means is when I die, 100% guarantee I know I'm going to heaven. Why? Not because I'm better than you, because I drank from living wells. I drank living water and it's bubbling up inside of me. If you don't have that bubbling, if you don't have that stamp of it, it's a seal of assurance, then maybe you're still thirsty. You see, you can look at this water and you can say, I believe it is real. I believe it exists. You can take it home after church and you can sit, sit, sit by your nightstand and you can talk to it. Yeah, uh, I just want to have a great night and I pray my family are all safe and, and, and you know, uh, give us a great day tomorrow. Hope that we get those bills paid and 
You can talk to the water all day long, but it ain't gonna help you until you drink it. Many of you guys believe in Jesus. You believe He exists. You believe He's real. You believe He offers you eternal life. And you can talk the talk, but you ain't walking the walk because you've never drank. So be honest with yourself right now in this moment. If you close your eyes this evening on earth, do you know 100% that you have drank? Do you know 100% that right now there's a fountain of life bubbling up inside of you? Because if you don't, then you need to come up here and respond. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd awaken those that are thirsty in this moment. I pray you'd silence every other voice but your voice. And if there are people who are here who need to drink living water, then I pray you'd nudge them right now in the name of Jesus. So if you're here and you've never drank, really, really drank, if you have not been marked with eternity, then I encourage you to come and respond. We want to give you a chance to do that because we love you and we care about you. And it's okay. It's okay if there isn't anybody, but if there is, we want to give you a chance, okay? Is anybody at all? Moment longer. Praise God. That's good, huh? That's good that you've all been stamped with the salvation. Okay, now I want to ask you this. Is anybody here this morning and you've been convicted through this message? You've been convicted to think, man, I'm not pouring out my life. What I'm doing is I'm, I'm having a good old drink and I meet my friends. I hang out. I hang out with Jeffrey, Pastor Luke. And we, hey, we, we like to hang out together. We drink a lot together. We have a lot of laughs. We have a lot of, a lot of joy it's great, we have amazing times. But I'm not giving it away. Are you giving away what he's given you? Are you pouring out your life as an offering? So if you're not, and you want to, and guess what, the good news is this. He doesn't hold a record of wrongs. He just wants to, he wants to wipe it right now. But some of you need to repent because you've been nudged by the Holy Spirit and you've ignored him. And you broke his heart. So what you need to do, if you want to get back in the race, then you need to come up here. And you need to repent and say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I've ignored you. I'm sorry that I've not acted when you've asked me to be a, a, an offerer of living water. And I want to change and I want to do things differently. If you're serious, then I encourage you to come. And we'll pray for you. If you're serious, come. Thank you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, Lord, I just pray that you would awaken your church. Lord, I pray that you'd wake us up to see, Lord, that there's so much more than what we're living. Lord, that people's lives are at stake. People's eternities are at stake. We don't have the luxury to sit around church while people are dying of thirst. We have what they need. How can we keep it? How could we be so cruel to keep it to ourselves when all they need is one drop? Lord, I pray you'd awaken us this morning. Awaken us, awaken us. If the Lord is stirring you, I encourage you guys to come. Come and get right with Him. You see, uh, you can just be in your head thinking, oh yeah, you know, I'm going to get right with God and I'll fix that up next week and, but next week will turn into next week and nothing will change. So take this moment and say, God, I want to begin. I want to draw a line in the sand from this moment on. I want to change the way I'm doing it. I want to learn to do things differently. If you guys want to learn to share the gospel, you can reach out to me, Jeffrey, any of us, and you can ask us how, how and we'll help you. But don't let fear keep you back any longer. Holy Spirit, pour out your power, pour out your presence right now in Jesus' name. Lord, we break off all fear. All fear in the name of Jesus. We silence fear right now. No more. 
we take a hold and take authority of that fear and we command it to be silenced right now in Jesus' name. I break the power of fear. I break the spirit. I silence that spirit of fear that is over this house and over individuals in our house right now in the name of Jesus. Over anybody watching right now, I break the power of fear over your life. We command shackles be loosed, chains be broken right now in the name of Jesus. Be set free. Be set free to live the life that you were called to live. This life is a life of love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor. That is it. It is all summed up in these two commandments. Some of us need to fall in love a little bit more. Holy Spirit, awaken us, I pray. Give us eyes that see through the lens of eternity, Lord. Lord, show us how many people around us, all the people around us that are just dying to drink. Lord, you've given us everything we need to get the job done. Holy Spirit, we give you this time right now. Lord, have your way. Have your way. When Mary, Pastor Jonathan talked about Mary last week. What Mary did was sum up everything I'm saying to you right now. What did she do? She knelt before the feet of Jesus and she poured out, she broke the ointment. She broke the thing that was most valuable to her. She smashed it. Why? Because love can be measured by how much it costs you. It was like a year's worth of wages and she smashed it at the feet of Jesus. What was she doing? She's saying, God, this is nothing compared to the value of what you're going to do for me. You see, she was anointing Jesus' body for what he was about to do. She's saying, it's like prophetic. She's saying, what you're about to do for me, this value that I have right now, this is nothing compared to what you're about to do for me. And she broke it at his feet. What he's asking you today is the same thing. Will you break your life at his feet? The life that is not yours anyway, will you break it at his feet? And that means this, that you've got to give up control and let his power move through you. You don't have to be strong. You may say, I'm shy. I'm not good speaking to people. I'm not good at this. I'm too, I'm too nervous. That's okay. Guess why? Because it's his power at work in you. You see, when, Je- when Jesus called us all to the Great Commission, he didn't call evangelists, he called disciples. What does that mean? It means he knows your weaknesses, but it doesn't seem to bother him. He believes his power is enough to surpass your weaknesses. All he needs is a willing vessel. If you'll be a willing vessel, I promise you his power will be enough to change you. So submit, surrender this morning and let him change your heart. God bless you guys. We thank you. We believe that God is going to move in your lives. In Jesus' name.